Okay, imagine a world where Marvel releases an Echo trailer that leaves us, dare I say, speechless? You get it? Where there's a sweet scent of resolution in the air, but it's not for SAG Afra. Let them fight. And there's apes reigning over kingdoms and fall guys no longer falling. It's a true week of chaos out there, but fear not. Young cinephiles, we are sifting through all of it, from the must-see trailers to the behind-the-scenes. Which cinematic gems are worth your time? But first, some theme music. Welcome back, friends, to Watch Closely. It's a weekly show where we take a closer look at the world of movies, television, and what's streaming. And today you're listening to a man who knows... Sometimes the journey is more important than the destination. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Jason. And ladies and gentlemen, Ernie is back. His curse has been lifted. We found an ancient Egyptian relic that said he needed to perform a killer dance move under a full moon at midnight to lift the curse. Welcome back, man. You look great. <laughs> dude, dude, you okay? Gotta be doctor. Shemona, Shemona. Dude, you, dude, it said killer dance moves, not thriller dance moves. Yeah, we're gonna have to check back in with him later. Clearly something's up. But yeah, welcome to the show. We have a lot of fun stuff to go over today. But first, let's get into the box office. It's the popcorn it looks like Universal's Five Nights at Freddy's continues to dominate the box office. Despite its significant drop for the second weekend, it still managed to bring in 17.8 million for a running total for the 10 days of $112 million on a $20 million budget, by the way. That is a 500% profit from its initial budget. That's crazy. And it's also simultaneously streaming on Peacock too. It just it just flies in the face of all these $300 million budgeted movies like the Marvels that we're seeing, like these huge spectacles. Like you don't need that. You can create a great movie on a smaller budget. And I actually watched it with my wife this week on Peacock just to check it out. And you could definitely see the quality was there. I know they used a lot of like practical effects for these animatronics. There was actually people inside like suits, but you could tell a lot of it was done in camera. I asked my wife after we watched it, I said, what do you think of it? And she kept saying like, I feel like I've seen this movie before. And I think what she meant was it feels very familiar. It feels like we've seen the plot of the guy down on his luck. He has to take the job at this abandoned Chuck E. Cheese basically. And We've all been to a Chuck E. Cheese. Well, a lot of us that grew up you know, in the 90s been to a Chuck E. Cheese. So we were familiar with the, the layouts and the colors and the animatronics. You know, that, that all feels very familiar to us, which I think is a good thing. And it actually lends itself to be almost like a classic in a way, right? Like people might feel the nostalgia, want to go back and revisit this. Uh, but my wife did have to watch it in two sittings because she was so tired that night she fell asleep. But Take that for what you will. I enjoyed it. It wasn't the best movie in the world, but I enjoyed it for what it was worth. And we got to see Peter. We got to see Peter from Hunger Games. We haven't seen him in a while. But yeah, the, the movie's doing great, so props to them. At number two, we have Taylor Swift's The Era concert film coming in at number two with $11.9 million, bringing their total to $164 million for its fourth weekend. And then Killers of the Flower Moon is at number three. Then a newcomer, the biographical drama directed by Sofia Coppola called Priscilla, about Priscilla Presley's life with her husband, Elvis Presley, charmed its way to almost $2 million, bringing it to number fourth position. And then we had a new Spanish film called Radical, 
that is about a Mexican border town where a teacher comes in and tries a radical new way to uh, inspire the kids. Uh, looks interesting, but it, it is a Spanish film, so you might have to watch with the subtitles. That was at number five. Angel Studios After Death at number six. Universal's Exorcist Believer at number seven. Paramount's Paw Patrol came out at number eight. And then Nightmare Before Christmas came in at number nine. Can you believe that Nightmare Before Christmas that came out in 1993 has made a worldwide box office a re-release of $87 million just by putting it out there again? Definitely made, definitely worth the time for Disney. And the creator is still hanging in there at number 10. And that'll round out your box office top 10. Surprisingly, The Marsh King's Daughter, starring Daisy Ridley, didn't make it into the top 10 this week, but we'll give it a couple days, see what happens. Next week, we have Journey to Bethlehem from Sony Pictures, and then The Marvels gets a wide release from Disney, so we'll see what happens there. And then the week after, we have The Hunger Games, The Ballad of the Songbirds and the Snakes. That terrible-looking slasher Thanksgiving movie comes out. The next goal wins with Michael Fassbender, where he's teaching that soccer team. And then Trolls Band Together all come out that same weekend, November 17th, so we'll keep an eye on those. But that'll round out your box office breakdown for the week. Let's move on to the cinematic spotlight. Is Marvel in trouble? Some people seem to think so. And this week, we're diving into a recent Variety article that was published this week that uncovers the storms brewing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The piece is titled Crisis at Marvel, Jonathan Major's Backup Plans, The Marvel's Reshoots, Reviving Original Avengers, and More Issues Revealed. Now, this article is pretty interesting because it gives us a behind the scenes, behind the curtain, if you will, look at Marvel Studios currently. According to Variety, this past September, a group of Marvel creatives, including Chief Studio Kevin Feige, assembled in Palm Springs for the annual CEO retreat. Most years, the vibe would have been confident, even cocky, given the premier superhero's brand. But this occasion was angst-ridden. Everyone at Marvel was reeling from a series of disappointments on screen, a legal scandal involving one of its biggest stars, and questions about the viability of the studio's ambitious strategy to extend the brand beyond movies into streaming. The most pressing issue to be discussed at the retreat was what to do about Jonathan Majors. And if you've been following the story, you know that Jonathan Majors has been accused of domestic violence from his girlfriend, as well as some other charges that have come out, and he's a big trial later this month. The article goes on to say that executives at the Palm Gathering were discussing backup plans by possibly pivoting to another comic book character, mainly Doctor Doom. But the interesting thing is that Kang, or at least Jonathan Majors, has already had such a big presence in the MCU. He's had that big reveal in the final episodes of Season 1 of Loki, and then Ant-Man Quantumania, and then now in Loki Season 2, he's got an even bigger presence setting up for eventually the fifth Avengers movie, which is Kang Dynasty, which is supposed to come out 2026. And then the writer's strike happened. And that just created a whole mess of trouble because you can't rewrite anything, right? Like there's no revisions that can be done during the strike. And then going back to the Variety article, uh, according to one of the top deal makers who has seen the final episode of Loki, they say Marvel is truly effed and they haven't had the opportunity to rewrite until very recently because of the WGA strike but I don't see a path to how they could move forward with him. So the Jonathan Major situation is a big issue, and obviously they got to figure that out. But the next thing I thought was a very interesting takeaway was when Disney Plus was first launched, the plan was that there would never be a lapse in superhero fare. 
with either a film in theaters or a new television series streaming at any given moment. Like they were basically saying like you would never have a break. Like you'd always have some sort of superhero thing going on that you could watch. And it doesn't take a genius to see that the the quality is going to suffer, right? Like if it's just cranking content out, of course the quality is going to suffer, right? And the thing that makes matters even worse is that the BFX teams went on strike because basically Kevin Feige always had his hands on the movies, making sure they finished strongly. But while that might've worked really well for movies, and if you only had a couple movies a year, like you could really adjust things as needed. If you have content that is constantly being, you know, slated and you have to plan all these things out so that it, you hit all these deadlines, right? You can't just all of a sudden say, okay, we need to change this. This is what happened with She-Hulk, right? She-Hulk, they wanted to put the flashback scene of her, how she got her powers. It was going to be at the end of the series. So they had all this time before the last episode was released and they decided, oh, we're going to move this up and have it at the very beginning. And so they had to fill in all the gaps with CG. And you can't just rely on visual effects artists to do that. You're basically pulling the rug out from under them. Uh, one of the biggest things that they mentioned in the article that was during the world premiere of Quantumania, according to Variety, shock rippled through the Regency Village Theater in Westwood over some shoddy CGI. There were at least 10 scenes where visual effects had been added last minute and were out of focus, says one veteran power broker who was there. It was insane. I've never seen something like this in my entire career. Everyone was talking about it. Even the kids of the executives were talking about it. And obviously, Ant-Man Quantumania was not a success overall. But this leads me to my favorite part of the article, which is talking about Victoria Alonso, how she was uh, quickly fired, supposedly because of the bad CGI. But I love how this article says, Some internal sources suggest Alonso was a scapegoat and point to the She-Hulk visual effects issues as a symptom of a deeper rot, namely the lack of oversight on script development. I'm like, yes, exactly. The so-called half-baked visual effects we see is because of half-baked scripts, says one person involved in the She-Hulk. That is not Victoria, that is Kevin. Even above Kevin, those issues should be addressed in pre-production. The timeline is not allowing Marvel executives to sit with the material. And this is a big deal because this is in Variety. Like, this is a big publication. The fact that they're calling out Marvel for the quality of their scripts speaks volumes about the things we've been saying all along, right? It all comes down to story, to how good is the script? How good is the writing? What is the story you're trying to tell? Don't give us content for content's sake, right? What's the reason? But sadly, as this article also touches on, it seems that Disney is chasing after the wrong things to save them right now. It's like, oh, the uh, 20th Century Fox deal that they made is going to save them because now they have X-Men characters in the lineup or Oh, maybe if they're going to bring back Robert Downey Jr. and Scarlett Johansson, the, like the old OG cast is going to return. Maybe that will save them. Like, no, none of this matters. You could have Miss Marvel. You could have Ms. Marvel. You could have Monica Rambeau. If we care about these characters, that is the reason why we show up is because of the stories, right? But props to Variety for calling this out and putting it in this article. Um, the question is, do you think Disney will listen? Do you think Disney will recover? Can they recover? Send us a message at watchcloselypod on Instagram or Twitter. Let us know your thoughts. I'm curious. I'm curious to know what you guys think. All right, let's transition into trailer talk. Because we need that. All of us. Of course, this section highlights the movie trailers that were released this week, what I thought was interesting, why I thought it was interesting, and why you should check them out. 
And this first one set the internet ablaze. I'm talking about Marvel's Echo dropped out of nowhere. Let's check it out. I see everything that you are. I always have. You have so much pain in you. 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 So much rage. That you can't contain it. You and I are the same. So, who's the monster? This, according to Polygon, Echo is set after the events of Marvel Studios' Hawkeye, where Aliqua Cox's Maya, aka Echo, made her live-action debut. Reportedly, the series will feature a plotline with Matt Murdock, the blind attorney and secret vigilante daredevil, searching for an old ally, supposedly Jessica Jones, the Marvel Comics character played by Kristen Ritter. Echo is a deaf Native American woman, with the power to perfectly copy another person's movements. She made her first debut on the pages of 1999's Daredevil number no. 9, created by David Mack and Joe Quesada. This trailer was surprisingly violent, I would say. Uh, we watched a kingpin beat a man half to death, and we see his adopted daughter Maya throwing, throwing a bunch of blows and snapping people's necks on the street. There's even like a brief Daredevil cameo. Obviously, the most surprising, well, not surprising, we kind of suspected it, but um, after the events of Hawkeye, we thought that Vincent D'Onofrio's character Kingpin was supposedly dead because he got shot. But then at the very end of this trailer, you see him with an, uh, a patch over his eye. So maybe the bullet went through his eye and didn't affect his brain or did affect his brain. We'll have to find out when we watch the series. But I was going to write this show off completely. I thought that this show was going to be super lame. I wasn't sure why they're even spending the time to develop this character because in the Hawkeye show, we didn't really like this. I mean, I didn't, but I think generally the consensus was she wasn't that interesting of a character, but this trailer was decent. I'll give it that. Like it was decent enough that it piqued my interest. I would say the reason to watch this trailer, other than, you know, if you like violence or you are a Marvel fan or you want to see the connection between Hawkeye and Daredevil, the reason to watch this trailer, I would say, is to sit and ponder, is this going to deliver? Like, is Disney taking that feedback, like we mentioned in the previous uh, story, is Disney taking that feedback and focusing more on character? Or do you think this is like a just a well-cut trailer and we're ultimately going to be left down like so many of these other shows that we've seen start off with a really good episode and they kind of like meh out at the end so definitely something to check out i will be interested to see how the reviews come out because they're going to drop the whole season right so you get to watch the whole thing kind of binge it and i'm really curious how that's going to pan out for um, disney in that one but all right let's move on to the next trailer when i sleep i see strange things memories not memories new things I see everything 
That is not everything. The Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes trailer has been released for the upcoming sci-fi movie. The film is directed by Wes Ball and will be released in theaters May 24th, 2024. Now, we heard this movie was coming, but I wasn't sure exactly what time it was going to take place. The synopsis is, many years after the reign of Caesar, now Caesar was the first ape that we saw in the first three Planet of the Apes movies, um, it says a young ape goes on a journey that will lead him to question everything he's been taught about the past and make choices that will define the future of the apes and the humans alike. And if you watch this trailer, clearly the apes have taken over. Like the humans are now the lower life form, like the lower species, because um, the apes seem to be dominating the humans. There's a scene where they're wrangling them up, basically, like the apes are on horses and they're lassoing and trying to like wrangle up the humans. Uh, this also stars Frida Allen, who you'll know from The Witcher. It looks like she might befriend this new ape and go on some sort of adventure. Like, we don't know quite yet. This is just a teaser. Um, I will say, though, that the CGI is, again, stunning. The visual effects are always really good in these Planet of the Apes movies. So that's, that was kind of the initial draw that got me into the first couple of movies was, like, the graphics were just so good. And the emotions that were coming out of the characters. Andy Serkis did a great job motion capturing Caesar in the beginning. Uh, it just looked so lifelike and it was just so fun to watch. This one, while it's not centered around Caesar, which I'm kind of a little bummed about because I really liked his character. I know this is set in the future. I think this has a lot of opportunity to have a lot of cool social commentary about how, you know, good intentions when you build an empire and then uh, eventually it gets passed down over generations and it gets contorted or it gets distorted or like other people rise up to kind of take advantage um, and you no longer have that main leader, right? I think there's a lot of cool things you could do with this. Some of the things that give me hope about this is that West Ball is directing it and he did the Maze Runner series. He was the, the director behind that one. The writer, Patrick Aeson, I think is how you say his last name, Aeson, A-I-S-O-N. He also wrote the movie Prey, which is that movie about that Comanche warrior girl that fights the predator that came out on Hulu. I thought that was really good. And then Josh Friedman was the writer on Avatar The Way of the Water. So we got a lot of cool sci-fi mix in there. Like, I think it could be good. The graphics so far look really promising. I was a little worried that West Ball would make this movie a little bit too computer gamey because the graphics on Maze Runner weren't as high quality. But this one, this movie is expected to come out May 24th, 2024. Uh, so far, it's a good trailer. I would say check it out. Especially if you're a fan of like the first Planet of the Apes movies. And I don't mean the prequels to these movies. I'm talking about the 1970s Charlton Heston, like the old school movies, because we're getting into like the crazy stuff. I think that's what people liked about those old Planet of the Apes. Dude, I can't believe how they made so many Planet of the Apes. Like at least at least they have a, like a roadmap, right? They kind of have a general idea of what they're going to do with these because of the previous movies. But we're getting into the wacky stuff. Okay, this next trailer I want to talk about this is probably one of my favorite trailers of the week. It just puts a smile on my face. And I'm talking about The Fall Guy. 
Let's check it out. Anyone but him. I didn't approve him. You know that. You are literally the last person on earth I want to see. It slapped the shit out of you. I really could. And I'm open to that in a safer environment. You've been a ghost. No phone call, no text. It's not like I didn't want to apologize. You don't have to explain anything. It was just a flame. So how have you been? God, I hate that thumbs up stunt guy stuff. I'm the director. We're gonna set this man on fire. You're a stunt guy. We need to keep it super profesh. Profesh is my middle name. You said your middle name was Danger. This new action comedy starring Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt. It looks like it's going to be pretty fun. I mean, my wife also watched the trailer with me and she looked at me. And she was like, we can see that one. Like she, she's down for it as well. So it seems like it's hitting all the quadrants, you know, when they do those the movie marketing. So I'm excited for that one. Uh, and I watched this with my wife as well. And she loves Ryan Gosling. And she, she basically looked at me and she's like, we can watch this one. And I watched this with my wife as well. We both watched the trailer. And my wife also watched the trailer with me. And my wife also watched the trailer with me. And she looked at me and she's like, we could watch this one. So, I mean, I, she loves writing Gosling as well. I think it's hitting all the quadrants, right? I think we're, uh, it's going to be a fun movie. Um, I also love the poster. The poster is fantastic. You see him, it's like suspended up on this crane and she's trying to direct him driving along and he's like trying to talk to her like he's trying to flirt with her it's a, it's a funny poster dude uh it's written by drew pierce and directed by david leach comes out in theaters march 1st and it might come to streaming as well but i'm not sure but definitely want to check out is coming to theaters march 1st from universal pictures directed by deadpool 2 and bullet trains david leach the synopsis is He's a stuntman, and like everyone in the stunt community, he gets blown up, shot, crashed, thrown through windows, and dropped from the highest of heights, all for our entertainment. Now, fresh off an almost career-ending accident, this working-class hero has to track down a missing movie star, solve a conspiracy, and try to win back the love of his life, all while still doing his day job. What could possibly go right? That's the synopsis. I love Ryan Gosling. He's a, he's a funny guy. He's got great comedic timing. Emily Blunt also has such a fun presence. We just saw her in the Pain Hustlers with Chris Evans. I thought that was a good movie too. I know a lot of people pan that movie, but I really liked Pain Hustlers. thought she did a great job. It looks like a fun time, dude. I, I enjoy like a good comedy. I enjoy a good like action thriller. And this looks like combining both. I love the behind the scenes of movies too. So I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. This is right up my alley basically. Um, and I watched this with my wife as well. And she loves Ryan Gosling. And she, she basically looked at me and she's like, we can watch this one. I also love the poster. The poster is fantastic. You see him, it's like suspended up on this crane and she's trying to direct him driving along. And he's like trying to talk to her. Like he's trying to flirt with her. It's a, it's a funny poster, dude. Uh, it's written by Drew Pierce, who did the screenplays for Fast and the Furious, Hobbs and Shaw and Iron Man 3. So He's got a little bit of comedy writing in there, so that's good. Comes out in theaters March 1st, and it might come to streaming as well, but I'm not sure. But yeah, definitely worth the watch. Check it out. Uh, a couple of honorable mentions this week. We had Godzilla Minus One Trailer 2, which I learned is actually a remake of the classic, or like a 
reimagining of the classic. It's not a continuation of the classic Godzillas from Japan, but I love how Godzilla minus one is Godzilla's not not the friend, right? Like the last couple of Godzillas we've seen, like he's been kind of like the friend of the humans. This one, he's like a like a terror. He's a literal monster, and he's just tearing through uh, Japan. It looks crazy, dude. I I'm excited to see it. I know we're getting like three different Godzilla movies before like April. So I'm all for it. Give me some more Godzilla content. I'm excited for Monarchs as well. The last trailer I'll mention this week is from Peacock. It was a trailer for Genie, which looks like it's going to be a heartwarming Christmas comedy starring Melissa McCarthy and I May Destroy You's Papa Isidu. I think is how you say his last name. Isidu's character summons a genie played by Melissa McCarthy who can grant unlimited wishes. And the movie's directed by Sam Boyd. And the script comes from Richard Curtis, who also did scripts for Love Actually and Four Weddings and a Funeral. It looks it looks fun. It looks charming. I, I'm curious to see how it works out. I love the concept, right? Like if you found a genie and, and instead of three wishes, it gave you unlimited wishes, like how that would play out. And I love how Melissa McCarthy does a great fish out of water where she's kind of discovering uh, life in the in the present day, right? So she's she's never had pizza. She's not, you know, lot lots of fun that could be had with this um, premise. It looks like a good like I'm I'm looking I'm always looking for a good Christmas comedy, so might add it to the list. But yeah, check that one out. And now let's move on to our final section of the day, which is the weekly watch. If you're thinking November is starting off with a pretty lackluster theatrical release schedule, well, fear not. The Weekly Watch gives you recommendations on what you could be watching this week on streaming. Let's get into it. The first category is drama. There are three recommendations we have. The first one is Black Cake, which is streaming on Hulu. It's adapted from a Wilkerson novel. It explores marriage, familial secrets, and identity through a narrative that spans decades. It could be a good pick if you're interested in intricate family dynamics. That is number one. Number two is All the Light We Cannot See, which is streaming on Netflix this week. Set during World War II, this drama centers around a young blind woman broadcasting across Europe to reunite with her father. And if you like historical dramas with a human touch, this is for you. The Lawman, based Reeves, streaming on Paramount November 5th. This is the series that explores the first black deputy U.S. marshal in the, in the Wild West. Uh, it's definitely a compelling watch for those interested in historical figures and action-packed Western dramas. So those are the three. We got Black Cake, All the Light You Cannot See and Lawman Bass Reeves. So check those out if you're interested in drama. The next category is comedy. And the top and only pick this week for comedy is The Quiz Lady, streaming on Hulu. It's a comedy about a strange sisters trying to solve their mother's gambling debts by participating in a game show. It stars Aquafina and Sandra Ho. If you're into humor and family dynamics, this is definitely for you. It looks like a fun one. The next category, we have documentary. And the only one I have for documentary is Sly, streaming on Netflix this week. This is the documentary about Sylvester Stallone's life and career. Uh, it could appeal to the fans who love this actor and those interested in behind the scenes of Hollywood stories. If you're looking for a cool documentary, he's definitely led an interesting life, that guy, Stallone. So, yeah, definitely check that one out. The next category we have is animation. And for animation, we have two I recommend. If you're a fan of Invincible, season two is now streaming on Prime Video. It's that gritty superhero narrative, action-packed scenes. This might appeal to fans of the superhero genre of animation. It, it does a really good job with animation. I saw the first season. It was brutal. 
but I'm definitely interested to see the second season. The next is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse streaming on Netflix now. If you haven't seen this movie, definitely recommend. Uh, it's lauded as one of the best movies of the year, and it could be a you know great pick for just animation enthusiasts in general. It's got some great animation. But let's say you don't want to watch either one of those, or you've seen Spider-Man and you're not into Invincible, I'd check out Anumisha or maybe The Blue-Eyed Samurai. Those trailers look pretty cool. Those are both streaming on Netflix as well. They're a little more anime. You know, you like that sort of thing. The next category is reality. And now there are two picks, and then I have a third that you might say doesn't fit into the reality category. But let's get to the first two. The first one is Selling Sunset Season 7, streaming on Netflix. Now, this series is for those who enjoy reality TV set in a high-stakes world of L.A. real estate might appeal to you. The next one is The Real Housewives of Potomac Season 8. I can't believe there's a Season 8 of this show, but people love it. It's another reality series featuring the lives of the ladies of the Potomac uh, in Maryland. Check that one out. But this one, this last one, you might think this should go into the documentary series, but I, cat I categorize this as reality because this is reality. This is probably my top pick if you're going to watch anything this week i would say watch this because planet earth season three has come out with uh, sir david attenborough from a six-year hiatus i believe i was so excited when i saw this it's the continuation of the acclaimed docuseries that focuses this series focuses on what's happening right now like how the planet is being affected by the choices we make the first couple episodes i watched were just beautifully fantastic just push play. That's all I have to say. Push play on this one. It's it's a fantastic series. Can't say enough good things about that one. De definitely check it out. The next category is mystery. It's not quite horror, but it's mystery. It's A Haunting in Venice streaming on Hulu. It was in theaters recently. It's now come out featuring uh, Hercule Poirot, if I say his name right. It's that mystery movie with a spooky ghost story angle that could be fun pick for people who love a whodunit movie. I love me a good whodunit, and this was a, a fun one. I couldn't tell whodunit. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's on Hulu. The last category we have is sci-fi romance, because that's just how it fell into the place. But Fingernails is now streaming on Apple TV, a unique narrative where a test can prove love between individuals and... This film might intrigue those who are interested in a mix of romance and sci-fi. It looked cool. I like the trailer. I might check it out. But that's it. That is it for the recommendations for the weekly watch. Are you going to check out any of these this week? Let me know at WatchCloselyPod on Instagram or Twitter. I'd love to know what you guys are checking out. I'm definitely going to check out Planet Earth 3, though. That's, that's my top pick right there. But that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Hopefully the actor strike and SAG Afro will be all wrapped up next week and we'll have a bunch to talk about for that. We also need to talk about updates to the streaming wars, the price hikes that are coming. Also the changes that are going to happen with Max. They're going to take away some features for the ad free plans and increase some features for other ones. And so we got to talk about all that next week. So stick around for that. Come back next week. But if you guys stuck around to the end of this episode, you guys are the true fans. As always, I appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for all the love and support you guys give us each week. If you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, what are you doing? Subscribe. You guys need to subscribe. So you'll be notified every time we drop an episode. Other than that, guys, I've been your host, Jason. Hope you guys have a great week, and we'll catch you guys in the next one. Bye-bye.